0: Yeah, we're celebrating our third year anniversary at Encounter. And as I've been reflecting on this past year, thankfulness has been on my mind. You know, despite all of the hardships, I'm not ignoring that it wasn't, it really was a tough year. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of frustrations. There were a lot of, of uncertainties and uncertainties continually persist. But thankfulness has been on my mind. My wife and I, we we woke up, uh, we were going to sleep last night. And the last thing that we said is, can you believe that God has sustained us? God has been faithful over the past three years. You know, as I look around to each one of your uh, faces, uh, what I see is I see stories and I'm reminded of stories that Uh, that we've had together, stories that I heard about you and the ways that you've been uh, persevering, the way that you have gone through certain experiences in your life and how our community have tried to engage with one another and keep rooted in Christ. You know you've been a blessing to each other. You've been a blessing to me and my family. And you have shown perseverance to persist. My prayer uh, for as we celebrate this third anniversary together, is that God will continually show each and every one of us how He's at work in each one of our lives. How He's having compassion on us. How He has been sustaining us. How He has been protecting us. How He's been providing for us. And how He has been leading us. That we may come to fully realize that God is faithful. You know, in the book of Acts, we see Paul speaking to a people that weren't so sure of whether God was there or not. They called it this unknown God, and they said, maybe he's there, maybe he's not. And this is what God, this is what Paul reminds the people in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He says, for in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. In other words, what Paul was reminding the people in the Arogapeus of, he's saying God is at work in our life. Sometimes it feels like he is distant, and sometimes it feels like there is nothing but ourselves, this physical selves of ours. But Paul was reminding that in God, the reason why we have breath, this thing that we call life, it lives and it moves and it has its being, he says, in God alone. He's the one that's sustaining us. As much as it feels that he may not be here. As much as it feels that he is distant from us. Paul says, no, he's, at, he's sustaining us. He's the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. No, no matter how distant God may feel at times, I pray, may we continually seek him and reach out to him that we may find this to be increasingly true, increasingly real, and increasingly relevant in our lives. Let me show you, before um, I go on, uh, I want to show you this video. Um, Pastor Addison made it for us. About a month ago, if you remember, I asked if people can share their thanksgiving videos with us so we took that as you reflected on your past year and i and i asked hey how can we be thankful as we look back let's try to see how god has been at work in our life you know before i anchor our story today so our story will find its foundation in genesis chapter 50 but before we read that passage i wanted to provide a backdrop a backdrop image that, uh, that this story can anchor itself on into. You see, in 1 Kings chapter 19, some of you guys may be familiar with the Elijah story. But here, remember, after Elijah did these great works for God and, and going against 450 Baal priests. And remember the fire being called down from heaven to burn up the offering and all that kind of stuff. After that, Elijah had a very low moment. And in that low moment where he felt so discouraged, he heard that these people want to kill him and that he felt like he was alone in this task of living his life. Uh, what happened is instead of Elijah continuing on with his life, he needed some space in this time to grieve, rest, and be strengthened. But at the same time, God didn't just leave him there, saying like, okay, the rest of your life is just grieving, resting, and and being strengthened. He didn't want to leave Elijah idled with his life or stuck in that kind of space or in that rut. And so what God gently does is he nudges Elijah forward by saying, you've had your time of rest, of healing, of restoration. He said, eat this food. And he fed him and he uh, cared for him. And he said, but there's a journey ahead of you. And this journey you must take. That journey took around 40 days to get to Mount Horeb. A Horeb is another word for Mount Sinai. And so when they got there, what God wanted Elijah to seek out was not the circumstances, not all the other stuff that's been in his mind, but he wanted to try to hear God in the middle of this storm, to hear God in the midst of this uncertainty, to hear God besides the loudness of his own fears. You see, brothers and sisters, no matter how out of control our life might feel at times, if we continually fall forward towards God as he leads us, as he nudges us, we are called to lean towards listening for God's whispers in our storm. To lean towards listening and looking for his whispers, no matter how loud our darkness may become. You see, through the life of Joseph, I hope we're able to learn how he was able to lean towards God and discover God's presence even when it felt like God wasn't in control, even when it felt like God wasn't in his life, even when it felt like his life kept getting worse and worse. So let's read together Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to start at verse 15 and I'll read to 21. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for the opportunity that we share here at this moment to come together as a community. To know that your presence is here with us. To know, Father, that your words are powerful, they're true, and we can anchor our lives to it. I pray that in this moment, may we hear, may we understand, may we perceive. I pray, Father, through all of our darkness, all of our uncertainties, all of our fears, no matter what cloud surrounds us, may you break through and speak to us. May we lean our ears that we may hear your whisper and to live according to your truth and not our circumstances. We commit this word into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, the first observation that we make when we look at this passage together is that what we hold to can bind us. What we hold to in our life can bind us. When we read the book of Genesis here, this is a last chapter. This is the chapter where Genesis actually ends. And we are reminded at the end of Genesis to look back on the story of Joseph, his whole life, and to see the deep betrayal that Joseph experienced from his brothers, but yet who he became. You see, that's the end of the book of Genesis, He's saying, look at the betrayal that could have defined Joseph's life, but yet look at who he became, and the question arises, how was it that he was able to overcome betrayal, how was it he was able to overcome his circumstances, because at that time, it seemed dark, it was a 17-year period when he was enslaved and betrayed, when he went to prison, and then finally when his life began to go uphill from there. A 17-year period in darkness. See, when we look at verse 15 to 17, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? You see, the brothers' fears were legitimate. Joseph's previous actions and his words to his brothers when they're coming to get grain and for Joseph to continue to deceive them. Joseph was working out his own issues as he saw his brothers again for the first time and all of these emotions from his broken past coming back up. So they they had reason to believe that Joseph was still holding a grudge against them and just waiting for his father to die so that he could carry out his vengeance. But when we recount Joseph's life after he was betrayed by his brothers, the question that we are faced with is what allowed Joseph to overcome that difficult moment of his life, that deep hurt that he could have chose to hold on to and let define the rest of his life? See, after he was sold, Joseph, we never see any place in the story of Joseph's life, where we see him revisiting or seeking an audience to listen to him sulk, to listen to him complain about how unfair and how evil his brothers are. In fact, his brothers are never mentioned. What he went through in the past is never mentioned. He keeps moving forward. You see, despite becoming a slave in Potiphar's household, what happens is, For Joseph, he doesn't choose to dwell on the past. He chooses to make best of what is in his current present. Despite moving up in the ranks in Potiphar's household, what do we see next? What we see happen is Joseph is holding on to God. And he's doing his best he can. And he is. His life is improving as much as a life can improve as a slave. But in the middle of that, what does he get? For that faithfulness, Potiphar's wife takes an interest in Joseph. And from that wants to have him commit adultery with her. But Joseph remains steadfast. He thinks about God. He holds to God. And what's the blessing that comes out of it? He gets thrown in prison. You can imagine the feeling of betrayal. Betrayal. That may have rose up in Joseph's heart again and saying, God, why are you betraying me? After I'm being so faithful, I'm trying to be so faithful to you. What happens when Joseph goes into prison? Well, he tries his best again. He doesn't mention Potiphar. He doesn't mention the injustice done by his wife. He doesn't mention his brothers. He moves forward in the best way possible in the environment that he is in as a prisoner. And we see the Lord blessing him in that scenario. And then he meets the cupbearer. The cupbearer is distressed because he's given a vision or a dream by God, but no one to interpret it. And Joseph interprets it for him and asks just one request, saying, hey, when you go back and you're reinstated into Potiphar's court, he says, please remember me. And what does the cupbearer do as soon as he's reinstated? He forgets about Joseph. He forgets about Joseph for two years, yet Joseph doesn't complain. See, at every moment, after every letdown, after letdown, after letdown, it feels like Joseph's life is not going up, but down every moment. So the question, again, that Joseph could have asked, and what we ask when we look at Joseph's life is how is Joseph able to see God's hand at work at Joseph's life when things just seem to get progressively worse? And God doesn't seem to be including himself in any meaningful way in Joseph's life. But rather, we see Joseph's acknowledgement of these glimpses of not holding on his grudge, or not holding on to his discouragement, but holding on to God, even when it feels like God's not present. Look what happens when he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. Look at the words that Joseph says in 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 Genesis 39, verse 9b. He says, how then could I do such a wicked thing? And he says, sin against God. He doesn't say sin against his master. He says sin against God. For Joseph, he's holding on to God saying, God, no matter what, you are my anchor. You are my foundation. No matter what I'm going through, I'm going to hold to you despite what I'm facing. We see again, notice when the the cupbearer and the chief baker are asking for interpretation of their dreams. What does Joseph say? He says, I don't do interpretations. Only that interpretations belong to God in Genesis 40 verse 8. He says, tell me your dreams. So Joseph acknowledges right away, it's not me. It's not my own effort, it's not my own goodness, it's not my own wisdom. He says, "It's God that does it and I just get to be used by God." In other words, Joseph keeps saying, "I'm making myself available and I keep connecting myself and anchoring myself on God." When asked by Pharaoh to interpret his dream, Joseph responds in Genesis 41:16, "I cannot do it. It's not about me. He says, "But God will give Pharaoh the answer." He desires. See, in our lives, sometimes when life gets really difficult, and our life gets really shadowy, and we feel like God's not part of it at all, it's so tempting for us to say, yeah, I got out of that rut by my own work ethic. I got out of it because I struggled and I was able to persevere. We put the emphasis on I, on my ability. But just as we learned in Acts, he says, in him, we move and live and we have our being. Joseph understood that. What he understood is that it's God that's been sustaining him. No matter how far God is distant or how far he feels distant, he says, I acknowledge that God has been sustaining me. And he keeps anchoring his story back on God, no matter all the things that he has accomplished. He's saying, it's God that's given me the ability to interpret. It's God that's given me this interpreter to do well in this, in this household or in, a, in prison. He attributes everything to God. So finally at the very end, when we read today's passage, as he reflects on his whole life and the brothers are fearful that Joseph will have revenge on them, he says this in Genesis fifteen nineteen: Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for my good. See where God, where Joseph anchors his story? He says, circumstances, or his brothers, these relationships, you've intended to harm me. We look at our circumstances, these circumstances intended to harm me. We look at our home environment, this home environment intended to harm me. This news intended to harm me. These co-workers, they intended to harm me. But rather than anchoring his story on that harm or on those circumstances, he anchors his story instead in a different truth, on a different meta-narrative, which is, but God intended it for good. See, brothers and sisters, that's the key. What we hold to, it binds us. Throughout Joseph's life, what he was holding to was that truth, that greater meta-narrative. That yes, my circumstances are bad. And yes, it feels like it's continually getting worse and worse and darker and darker. Yet he says, what I strive to do with my life is hold it to this narrative. is to anchor everything that I go to, to this narrative. But God intends it for good. See, brothers and sisters, that's the key. To keep our minds from going into dark spaces. To keep our, our, our lives from being trapped within the box of our grudges. Within the box and our limitations of holding on to other things. And our anger and our disappointment and our discouragement as excuses of why we cannot continue forward. You see, what we are called to do is to hold to God no matter what to find any way possible to hold to him. This is why we have life groups where we can learn how to anchor our stories in him as we share our stories with one another. This is why we have communal worship on Sundays to be reminded of that meta-narrative and to draw our hearts back to holding back to him. See, God's intention for our life is what we need to live by. Not the intention of our circumstances. This is what leads us to our second observation that we make in this passage. And it's this. When he says God intends it for for good, he says this. To do what? He says, he doesn't just say he intends it for good. Don't worry, everything will work out. What he says is, there's an end purpose to that. And look at what he says at the end of the verse. He says, to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives see when joseph was anchoring his story in his life on that meta narrative that god intends it for good he also includes and this good has this greater purpose behind it to accomplish what is now being done And we know the story of Joseph. What was being done is he saved, he literally saved the entire ancient Near East from starvation. Joseph's story was a unique story. Joseph's story is one of hurt, a bad circumstance that seemingly got worse. But if Joseph gave up and he just remained idle, in. Uh, in being a slave or remain idle in just being in prison and decided, well, forget God. And I'll just anchor my story on, on this instead and I'll sulk and I'll look for an audience to complain of why my life can't get better. If he anchored his story there, it would have limited his ceiling. It would have limited his experience of what God wants to do in his life. Yet what Joseph was able to see is by anchoring his story on that meta narrative that God intends it for my good. He's now able to see it was to accomplish something bigger than just making me feel satisfied with my life. He says to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You know, in the same way, I suppose that one could hold a grudge and use that grudge as a fuel that's needed to succeed in life, or is the fuel that's needed to gain advantage over the people that have hurt that person. You know, sometimes we have that mindset, oh man, that person hurt me so much, I'm gonna show him, or I'm gonna show her, and our whole life becomes fueled by that, and yes, we become successful, but here's the thing about that, because when we think, well, those people are successful, they got to be at the place where they are, but here's the problem with that anchoring, And holding on to that grudge to be the fuel for their future. It's this. They're still imprisoned by it. They're still its slave. Because the victory that's experienced or the success that's experienced by moving on or moving forward is to have revenge or to pay back. The hurt that was previously done for it. In other words, it still gives its power. It's still part of our narrative. It's still holding us and grasping us. See, God calls us beyond that. He says, despite what we've experienced and despite the uncertainties that we may now be in, don't anchor yourself in trying to prove it wrong. Don't anchor your story on trying to have revenge and to show that you're better than that. He says, rather instead, anchor your story on God who says, I'll intend this for good to accomplish my purposes. You see, Joseph points out in the second half of verse 20, there was a greater purpose to some of the things that he experienced that he would only find out later in his life. Joseph chose to anchor his story not on betrayal, not on paying back his brothers, but on God's intention for his life. See, this is an amazing testimony that Joseph reveals to his brothers and also to us. It's a story where God continually whispers into Joseph's life even though it feels like we don't really see God at work in Joseph's life. It feels like Joseph's making the decisions. Joseph has the work ethic. Joseph's doing all these things. But we're reminded that's God who has been sustaining him throughout that process as his brothers and as a circumstance intended to harm Joseph. What's happening underneath it all, what's happening behind the scenes, is God still orchestrating everything despite the powers that may be. God's orchestrating it. For the good. You know, Joseph didn't know it at that time. and his influence at first, it, it was limited. but we still see Joseph's decision to anchor himself on God's meta-narrative. It made an impact on the people that were around him, and he began to grow. See, first, his influence—it didn't really change Potiphar, right? Joseph is being faithful. He changes Potiphar's household because he sees God's goodness at work in Joseph's life. And even though Potiphar sides with his wife and believes in the adultery that Joseph, or what uh, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of, we know that Joseph's life and his integrity. It impacted Potiphar's view. We see this begin to grow because as soon as he goes into jail, the jailer is able to see God's work in Joseph's life. As as Joseph refuses to sulk, as Joseph refuses to just talk to, to everyone who will listen about the betrayals that he's already experienced and how he does not belong in jail. Instead, he's making best of his situation. And as the jailer sees it, he puts him in charge of everything. See, the jailer is influenced by Joseph's story. Third, we see Joseph now influencing a person of bigger power, the, per- the cupbearer who was thrown into prison. And by influencing him, he speaks into the ear of the Pharaoh, and then finally what we see is Joseph's influence changes the Pharaoh, which eventually changes the nation, which eventually saves the ancient Near East. See, we cannot allow our hurts and our difficulties to be the story that we hold on to. We need to remember that God will lead us and he will get us to where we need to be. See, focusing on our hurts or how unfair our situation may be, it only keeps us stuck and it limits our future because it prevents us from anchoring ourselves on God's whisper that He has for us, the whisper that we need to hear. See, it moves us. God's whisper, the reason why that's so important that we keep anchoring to it, we keep looking for it, is because it moves us from following the natural inclinations of our dark perspectives, of our broken conclusions that we have because of the discouragement that we feel. My life is over. It's not going to get better. I'm a broken person. Things are not going to change. It moves us from that natural inclination of that pathway that makes sense to us and to everyone else around us. And it moves us to a different conclusion, to God's conclusion. When Elijah heard God's whisper, remember when he was so distressed and then he did this big thing, but it doesn't change a nation and it doesn't change the king or the queen. But now Queen Jezebel wants to kill Elijah and everyone doesn't seem to care about that, even though Elijah's doing God's work. He gets so depressed in his thinking. He's saying, what's the point? Why do I have to keep fighting when I'm the only one that's left? There's no point. And he sulks in that and he wants to give up. That's the natural progression or the natural inclination that Elijah could have followed, but he doesn't. As God leads him, and it did take 40 days of restoration and recovery, but as he leads him back into Mount Horeb, where God says, I want you to try to listen for my voice. Storms come, all this loud and big kind of things happen. God's not in any of them. And then he hears a gentle whisper. And that whisper redirects Elijah's thinking. How does he do God first redirects his thinking to what it needed to do. He says, do this, Elijah. Elijah's complaining. God said, okay, that's, that's enough venting for now. This is what you need to do for the time being. He says, go anoint these two kings and anoint your successor. He gave Elijah a very simple plan. He says, do this. And that's what Elijah does. Then what God does is then he redirects his perspective from the perspective of I'm the only one left doing God's will to when God says, and Elijah, I want you to know you're not the only one left. I've reserved 7,000 other prophets who have not bent their knee to Baal see he changes Elijah's perspective from one of I'm the only one left I'm the only one that's going through this he goes no 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 there's 7,000 other people and then lastly what God does is he redirects his outlook when he anoints Elijah what does Elisha do Elisha burned his cart and he he sacrificed all of his oxen, basically saying, there's no turning back. When I'm following God, I'm following God, and I'm not returning back to this. Elijah was encouraged when he sees that. Wow, there are people like Elisha who get it, and he gets inspired by looking at his successor, and it rekindles his hope. See, in the same way, seeking God's whisper in our life throughout all seasons, throughout no matter how many disappointments we face, as we see in Joseph's life, what God does through his whisper, it helps us to see a different future through God. A future that's not imprisoned by our hurts and our circumstances, but a future that's directed by God, who promises that God intends all things for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Brothers and sisters, may we too learn how to hold to God and to be bound by Him, not by our hurts, not by our circumstances. May we continue to learn how to lean towards whatever practices we need to do to listen for God's whispers in our circumstances and to know that His truth can direct our life rather than the natural inclinations or the conclusions that our difficult circumstances may yield. This is what we see in Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. Rather than focusing on that betrayal. Rather than focusing on, I spent all this time with these disciples. And what's this project leading towards? He leaned towards God's whisper. And he trusted that God intends good out of our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for the stories that we share communally as Encounter Church, how our stories intersected along the way over the past year. And I thank you, Father Lorne, for the individual stories that are at work in each one of these precious sons and daughters of yours. I ask in Jesus' name for those of us who are bound by our hurts in the past, that are bound by our current discouraging circumstances. May you break that, Lord, and help us, Father Lord, to re-anchor ourselves and to lean towards and put ourselves in situation to hear your whispers and to live according to your truth and your story. May this upcoming year, this new year for encounter, be a year, Father, where we encourage one another. We bless one another. We become a a place of refuge, a haven, Lord, so that others can experience you despite what they may be going through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.